You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. I'd like to read this uh, from Psalms 103, verses 13 through 18. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commands. You know, we're in this series uh, asking for a friend. And today we're going to look at the uh, question, is God a moral monster? Morality is concerned with principles of right and wrong behavior, of goodness or badness, of human character. In his book, Is God a Moral Monster?, Paul Copen uh, quotes a leading atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins who says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynist, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Ah, those are big words. Let me try to, to translate some of them. Misogynist, woman hating. Infanticidal, killing infants. Genocidal, killing people because of their ethnicity or race. Filicidal, killing family. Pestilential, harmful or destructive to crops or livestock. Megalomaniacal, the uh, person obsessed with their own power. Sadomasochistic, the, the deriving of pleasure, especially sexual gratification from inflicting or submitting to physical or emotional abuse, capriciously malevolent, impulsive, unpredictable, and arbitrary in doing evil. Now, the, is that really the Bible, uh, the, the God that is revealed in the Bible? Is that who he really is? You know, belief in God is uh, at this time uh, increasingly being uh, seen as something irrational, re unreasonable, and illogical uh, to, uh, thing to do, to believe in him. You know, statistically, we're also losing three out of four uh, 
Christian, young Christian people in our American colleges, when they begin to face an onslaught of pluralism, hedonism, secularism, naturalism, liberalism, and atheism. You know, college students are not the only ones who are having a crisis of faith. If there's a lingering or nagging question in any believer's mind about or regarding their faith or the reasonableness of their faith in God, then we can't really believe and love our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. But the truth is that in every uh, one of these instances, informed contextual understanding of the Bible is all that is needed to provide an apologetic to all these accusations. The Bible does not need to be excused, merely understood. A proper hermeneutic or reading that treats the text appropriately reveals that the most common criticisms of scripture are based on misunderstanding and misinterpretations. One of the key arguments against the Bible is the God who gave the Mosaic law is harsh, arbitrary, and immoral. You know, there are about 613 laws in the Old Testament that deal with issues from how to prepare food to how to offer a proper sacrifice and worship God properly and everything in between. And so when we look at the uh, Old Testament, we are viewing it through a lens that is thousands of years removed from that culture and context. And so as a result, we tend to discredit and misunderstand things. And so the first major misunderstanding is to believe that the Mosaic Law was one, something for all peoples and nations, and two, it is still to be observed by Christians. Now that kind of application, even the most elementary uh, misinterprets the, the Old Testament and the most elementary understanding of it. The Mosaic Law, the law given of God to Israel through Moses was for one nation and one nation alone, Israel, not for the whole world for all times. Now, the only case that it applied to non-Jews was when a Gentile wanted or decided to live in Israel and worship God as God commanded and effectively became a Jewish convert and Jewish citizen. This law was given to set Israel apart from all the nations of the world. It was to visibly demonstrate that God's people were to be holy just as God is. Thinking that the Mosaic law is still binding on anyone today denies the new covenant instituted through Jesus Christ. That new covenant which we celebrate every Sunday with the symbols of communion, did away with the Mosaic Covenant. Are there some declaration, 
declarations of moral absolute that still apply? Of course, yes. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery, covet your neighbor's house, wife, possessions, etc. Any command or moral absolutes that are repeated or modified in the New Testament are binding for the people of God. The purpose of the Mosaic law was to develop a people that would be holy, set apart for Yahweh, for God. Separate from the idolatry of the people that surrounded them. God wanted a people that demonstrated that every part of everyday life was impacted by the relationship one has with him. But what about those harsh penalties in that breaking the law came? You know, there's... 16 cases in the Old Testament where the death penalty was called for. It involved murder to witchcraft to adultery. Only one case, premeditated murder, the text does not let the officials, the judges, take a ramson or a substitute for the penalty. So the implication is that in all other 15 cases, <clears throat> the judges could commute the sentence of capital punishment by designing or designated, designating a ransom or substitute. That's why Jesus in John 8, when they bring that, when all those judges bring that woman caught in adultery to be stoned, he says, okay, first one without sin, let him cast the first stone. And they all walked away. You know. Second big accusation is that was the killing of the Canaanites an act of ethnic cleansing in which Bloodthirsty massacres were carried out with xenophobic relish. And it's one of the most difficult ethical issues, uh, you know, is this divine command to kill the Canaanites. Uh, the theologist turned atheist, Gerd Ludemann, wrote, The command to exterminate is extremely offensive. A far cry from the merciful God frequently proclaimed proclaim in Scripture. Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18 reads, In the cities of these people that the Lord your God is giving to you for an, for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded. And here's verse 18, the reason that they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. The command was not racially oriented, but culturally oriented. It was because of their evil practices. 
It was based on God's command and God's judgment about the evil nature of a people whose evil had passed the point of no return. It was unique to Israel at that particular point in the life of the nation and would not be repeated with any other nation in Israel's history. Israel herself would not escape that judgment hundreds of years later when the Assyrians and the Babylonians brought judgment upon Israel herself because of her sin, not because of their ethnicity. You know, the biblical history indicates that there's been several occasions when the corporate evil of a nation, a city, a group has gone so low that it demands God's judgment be brought upon them to end the ongoing evil. Genesis chapter 6 with the flood. You know, God says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart heart were only evil continuously. You know, and even then, when God decided to exterminate all this, God had Noah preach for some 100 years that judgment was coming. And no one outside of his seven, a family of seven, responded. There's a limit to the evil God will allow to go unjudged. The world had reached that limit in Noah's time, and yet God took the extraordinary steps to preserve one righteous man and his family. It happened in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis chapters 18 and 19. Out of these two cities, not even 10 righteous people could be found. And these cities had also gone past the point of no return. Their evilness had hit rock bottom. And if you read Genesis 19, it is one of the most graphic and perverted descriptions of evil in the Bible. So God brought judgment upon the entire cities to end their evilness. You know, when it happened when God sent his people into Canaan, Canaan uh, to conquer the land. Those cities could have chosen a different path than resistance. They had heard God saving the, uh, the people of Israel from uh, uh, Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and the uh, Jordan River. And uh, even Jericho had seven plus days to repent. And all those cities were destroyed. God had been more than patient with them. God's concern was the destruction of false Canaanite religions, not an ethnic group. And the proof is the salvation of Rahab and her household makes it clear that even this severe judgment God called upon them had its exceptions. 
We know that certain more cooperative Canaanites were subjected to servitude, not annihilation. God's judgment, as always, showed grace even in the midst of evil. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. We are offered this, a place with God for eternity through the Son, Jesus Christ. 